Welcome to the Obesity Medicine Podcast with your host, Dr. Matea Rentia, board certified in internal medicine and obesity medicine. Here, we talk about a path to metabolic health, and we have real conversations about chronic weight management and living a full life. Just a reminder, I am a physician, but I'm not your physician. So everything that's on this podcast is for informational purposes, but please go talk to your doctor about what's right for you. There is no medical advice being given on this podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. I'm so excited to be here because I suspect that today is going to be one of those episodes that a lot of you have been wanting to hear from me. We are going to talk about the anti-obesity medications available. Conventionally, you will hear these referred to as the weight loss medications. There's actually so much to talk about here that I'm going to split this episode into two parts, part one and two. So make sure that Right now, if you're liking this episode, you hit subscribe so that you don't miss next week when part two comes out. And also realize, I say this a lot, but yes, I'm a physician, but there's no medical advice being given here. This is very informational. This is a very brief overview. I mean, lightning flash style, because I cannot possibly in this short context, talk about all the risks and benefits of these medications. There are so many other things that I'm not able to talk about here. We get whole board certifications in this. (laughs) This is a whole specialty. (laughs) I mean, I laugh when I say this, but people want, they literally want in 10 characters, is this right or wrong for me? And it's it's just, it's much more complex than that. So we're going to start to broach the topic. You know that something I'm really passionate about is not gatekeeping this information anymore. And unfortunately, Unfortunately, a lot of physicians are actually not educated in this. And so you might actually get some information today that might help empower you a little bit, and then you might be able to bring it up with them, and then you can research it together, or maybe you you give them this episode <laughs> to listen to. So we are really all in this together. Again, you do not make decisions, big things that you're changing with your health, medications, all that kind of stuff without talking to your medical team. And by the way, stick around in part two. I'm going to talk about one of the questions I get asked the, the most often is, how can I find a physician that can help me with this. I'm going to tell you what I think are some of the best places to look for that. Okay, so let's go through who even qualifies for the medications. Now, I feel like I'm always giving lots of, you know, caveats on things. All right, we're going to talk about the body mass index, BMI. The body mass index, while there's many reasons that it's garbage, and we will talk about this in future episodes, it's actually a, a, a pretty not nice history, to be honest, of where it came from. We will talk about all that. It is a screening tool. It is used all over medicine. It's steeped in the insurance industry. And so we need a way in medicine, we medicalize things, meaning we kind of put buckets and diagnostic criteria, kind of what goes into what category. I really want to stress here that you are not a number. And so when you get this number, this does not mean anything about you. It does not actually mean anything about your health necessarily. This is why when you meet with your doctor, it's really about a more global context because you might have amazing healthy habits. You might be eating really great food that's supportive. You might have amazing exercise practices. You might be super active. Your mental health is amazing. There might be so many things that are going great. No uh, poor family history of anything. No medications you're on. I don't know your history. I don't know the body composition that you're working with. So keep in mind, we're talking isolated numbers and isolated cases here. So talk to your team, right? Okay, so 
in a conventional sense, who qualifies now, keep in mind, again, certain ethnicities and populations, these numbers will actually be lower for them. So again, this is why it's really important to work with a physician that knows what they're talking about. But just in general, okay, so not certain ethnic populations. But in general, if your body mass index, that BMI number, if you look up online, you do a calculator, BMI calculator, you put in height for weight, if it's between 27 to 29.9, so right under 30, with medical comorbidities or over 30, period, you qualify for the weight loss medications. Now, in that overweight category of the BMI 27 to 29.9 with medical comorbidities, they have to be things that relate to what we think relate to weight. So for example, things like type 2 diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, things like that. Okay, so it's things that are influenced by that. And then period, if the weight is 30 or over, that's the category, that's the number that we start to use when we give the medical diagnosis of obesity. Again, this is not a morality thing. This is not a character thing. This is not to say that some people that have higher BMIs are actually not still amazingly healthy. We're not having that conversation today. We're having the conversation about just numbers. Okay. So if that's the case, yes, you would qualify for these medications. Does not mean that it's appropriate. Again, you're going to have that conversation with your doctor. (laughs) I'm giving all this because I feel like I really, you can't like go into a doctor and be like, well, My BMI is 28 and I have whatever going on. And that means you're going to write me a med. That's not necessarily how it works. Because keep in mind, all of these medications have a lot of benefits and a lot of risks. And we need to weigh that out for you. And so there might be a scenario. And I actually really empathize with these patients. So something that happens not quite often, but every so often, I'll get someone that maybe has a BMI that's 27 but there's there's no other medical comorbidity happening. And I'm evaluating, I'm looking, and I just don't find any reason why there's anything pharmacologic that I can provide. I can't justify it. But they tell me, look, I've struggled for years and I'm I have to measure and weigh. And they're they're in distress about how hard they're having to work. And I empathize with them. And there are many things that I can offer, but medication might not be one of them. And so I'm not minimizing that. Cause I'll I'll give you another example. I have also people that will come and approach me that maybe they, let's say their their body mass index has been on the lower side in the normal range, like 18, and they now maybe are up to 22, and that's a weight gain for them, and they don't feel comfortable with that, right? And so if I'm just plugging in numbers isolated, you know, they're wanting help on that, but just unfortunately, according to these diagnostic criteria, that is not, I would not be able to write a medication for them. That would be inappropriate in my estimation. It does not mean that that person is not still having a hard experience and going through it. Really, what I focus on on this podcast is the treatment of obesity. So really BMI 30 and over. Okay, so just coming back here. So again, all medications are going to have risks and benefits. So it's really we, we weigh that risk when we talk to you. And our body, you know, I think a long time what was taught in medicine is what this calories in, calories out model. So every single doctor was, well, you need to eat less and you need to move more. And the problem is that, like, it's not really true because <laughs> they, they would do studies and that's not really how all the how everybody behaved. And again, we'll talk about that much more in future episodes. But I want to just provide you a quick number here. So about 5% of people are going to be able to lose 20% of their body weight with lifestyle changes alone. And 
If you're one of those one out of 20, I'm so happy for you. I want that to be the case, right? We know that there are success stories where where someone said, and then they'll, they'll build a whole company on it, right? That they lost 100 pounds and I just did it with small changes. And, and that's amazing. And listen, I would like that for you. But the reality is that's about 5%. Everybody else, if you look at sort of the trajectory over their lifetime, and if this is a chronic medical problem that they're dealing with, maybe they're able to have periods where they lose and then they regain. The best time when I saw this illustrated, I just want to story time for a minute. <laughs> I, I worked previously at the VA in Indianapolis. And the VA, if you're not familiar with that within the States, if you've never worked at one of them, they have a medical record system up till now. I know, I know it's going to change here coming up soon. But they had a medical record system that's one of the longest known in the U.S. And so you really had really long-term data from the vets. And one of the things I did the weight clinic there, and something that was fascinating to me about it would be you'd pull up the weight chart and it's classic. So they would start wherever they were at in, in adult life. You could look back 10, 20 years and you would see that they would have periods where they would lose and then they would regain, if not a little bit more. And then they would then they lose and then they regain a little bit more. So you end up with this scenario where overall, year after year, there's always a few pounds being put on and you always see the attempts, right? And it's just classic for what we would say is yo-yo dieting. And that's when you try to lose weight, but inevitably you put it back on. So the reason we're talking about anti-obesity medications today, it's one tool to help either stabilize or bring down weight long-term that allows you to fight these metabolic adaptations. Our body actually really doesn't like to release weight. It always wants to go back to where it was. So historically, we know a lot of the lifestyle things on their own don't work long-term. And that's not to say that it never works for people or that it's not completely necessary to incorporate with the medications, right? It's, it's, a, it's a super critical pillar. We're going to talk so much more about it. But we know that on its own, there are so many things that happen when you lose weight that usually if we don't have some type of medication assistance for many, not for everybody, but for many, it's very challenging for them to keep the weight off. And here's another thing I want you to think about, because some people fight me and they say, well, you know, I, well, I did it. And I'm thinking, yeah, you're part of the 5%. <laughs> but the other thing I want you to look at, too, it's not keeping weight off. I no longer want you to think in weeks and months. I want you to think in years and decades. So, it, you know, when someone tells me, OK, they're eight months into whatever sustained change, high five, congratulations, I'm so happy for you. But I'm really thinking at the five-year mark, are they going to have gained that back or not? That's where my sort of barometer for long-term success is. Everybody's a sort of different, but I want you to not reach that five-year statistic where majority of people put it back on. So I'm thinking a little bit differently here. One last thing before we get into the medications. Majority of these, what you're going to see the the understanding in obesity medicine today is that these are long-term medications. A lot of people say, well, what are the effects long-term? Sure, some of them are newer on the market, but actually a lot have been around a really long time. And one of the things we want to prevent is weight cycling. So this gaining and losing and gaining and losing because metabolically, it's very tough on our body. Number two, it's extremely hard to lose weight again the next time. 
So you make it harder and harder on yourself. So these are long-term medications. All right, so let's talk about what are some options. So we're going to start all the way at the beginning. The first one that's available, been around this, this super long. It came out in 1959. It's a sympathomimetic amines, and it's a, it's a stimulant medication. It's called fentermine. Sometimes you'll see the name Adipax, or it goes by a few other names. This, again, it's in that stimulant category. We see maybe about like 7% weight loss. It does a really great job with suppressing hunger. And one thing I just want to double back to real quick, you'll see me say some numbers as I go through the percentage of weight loss. You might hear some of these numbers if you're not in the medical community and you might say, oh, you know, 7% isn't that much. Anything 5% or more is super significant as far as health outcomes. So 5% weight loss or more might be the reversal of prediabetes, might be your blood pressure improving, a lot of changes like that. Now, depending on what we're looking to improve, if you have some more significant changes, like you want to reverse fatty liver, things like that, we might be looking at more like 15, 20% weight loss, again, depending on what's going on. But really, that percentage of weight loss is rather significant. The other thing I really want to highlight, I'm trying to pull from some studies with this, but realize different studies, different times are going to quote different numbers. Do not get locked into them. It's an average. Some people lose less, some lose more. And again, if there's an art to all of this, hopefully you're working with a doctor. All right, back to fentermine. So about 7% weight loss. The benefit of it is that it's super cheap. It's been around a really long time. We know kind of what to expect from it. Even if you don't have insurance, it's covered. That's, you know, really great with it, the fact that it can be covered. Some of the cons that I see with fentermine is that because it's a stimulant, some people really can't handle this in the sense that they'll start to develop insomnia with it, even if they take it right in the morning, or depending on what the formulation is, they still have problems. Some people, again, because of the stimulant nature, they'll end up getting heart palpitations, so the heart's beating funny on them. Some of the effects, such as dry mouth, are not tolerable. The other thing that's kind of a challenge is some states only approve it for three months to be written at a time, and then there has to be breaks in between. While really, we know that people do extremely well long term on fentermine, actually. And so there's lots of physicians are actually working with legislation to get these laws reversed and so that people can stay on these medications long term. But there's just a lot that needs to go into it. The other thing that really needs to be looked at, because it's a stimulant, sometimes depending on the doctor, maybe an EKG is needed, meaning your heart needs to be checked out before we do it, because we're going to put you on something that the way I like to describe it, it's like you're having a bunch of cups of coffee. <laughs> so we don't want anything to be going on with your heart. Again, there's m many other things that go into this. And I think another thing that that has become challenging with this medication is that because it's in that stimulant category, it's a controlled medication. So you're not going to be able to get this through most telehealth services, because if it's remote, they're not seeing you face to face. And there are lots of laws. Some of them had been relaxed during the pandemic, so they were able to do that. But coming up in the coming months, you need face to face visits for this. You really need to be followed up. I mean, there's no universe where I have someone on fentermine and I'm not listening to their heart and really following things closely. So kind of, yes, it's cheap. Yes, it works. It's an option if nothing else is covered. But there are so many drawbacks if there's a heart history, if it causes insomnia, side effects. 
aspects. So there's just a lot to look at with it, but it's been around a long amount of time. The next one that I want to talk about is called Qsimia. Qsimia is actually a combination of the one we just talked about, Phentermine, plus Topiramate or Topamax might be the other name that you know that. So it's a combination medication. This one may be about, again, 10% weight loss. Something that I think is really good to look at as well is when you hear those numbers, that's the average. But when you look at the studies, when they break it down, there will be a certain percent that have been able to lose 20% of their body weight. So with this medication, about 15% can lose 20% of their body weight. And so I'll keep kind of comparing as I go forward what those numbers look like for future ones. And you'll see that it gets higher and higher as far as the percentage of people that can lose significant amounts of weight and keep it off. So this has been around about 10 years. And the problem that I see the most with this, yes, it can get great results. It's like, here are my thoughts. (laughs) Someone either does great on it, it's amazing, or the thing I hear the most about it because of the the combination of it, it's this brain fog that tends to be something that people just really don't like experiencing that brain fog. And so if that's something that happens, it's just really something that people don't want to deal with. The other thing I will say is that, and this goes for saying about all of the medication, but especially with Qsemia, because it has that topiramate in it, it is very contraindicated for pregnancy. So you can get birth defects. The babies can get cleft lip and palate. This is really serious. We do not want that to happen. And so definitely this is something that always, if there's a young woman, there needs to be a birth control plan. But especially for this, again, realizing that. Also, if you have a history with kidney stones, this is not going to be the medication for you. Again, we're not getting into all the side effects, just kind of the big things that I look at for that. The next medication is called Contrave. And I forgot to say that Phentermine, Qsimia, and now Contrave, they are all oral options, so tablets that you're going to take. So Contrave is actually has two ingredients as well. So again, it has one ingredient that is called bupropion. The conventional name of that that you might think of is Wellbutrin. And then the other ingredient is naltrexone. So bupropion, we tend to think of as something that we might use for treating mood. We might use it for tobacco cessation. And then naltrexone, you might hear about it with helping with alcohol use disorder or opioid addiction. So there's different use for both of them. It's about maybe a 7% weight loss. Again, where I see this being the most helpful is with cravings. So when someone tells me, okay, you know, after dinner, they always want something sweet or at night, they always want a snack. I find that this is the medication that usually will move the needle the most for them. And again, just like Qsemi, I see that there are either people where this helps or it doesn't. <laughs> so there maybe it's that there was already like a slight underlying depression that wasn't treated and they get on this and they feel better or that it's actually helping with those food thoughts. But one of the pros that I really see, it's decreasing those food thoughts all the time. I had a patient that literally sent me a message and said, I just can't even believe that this is possible within a few weeks of slowly titrating up on the dose. The other thing that's really nice about Contrave and also the medication before this Qsemia, but with Contrave is that we can make generics of it. If the name brand is not covered, I'm very familiar with sending in for my patients the both of the medications independently. The only thing that we really need to look at with that is that we're trying to mimic the extended release state of the medication, the brand name itself. But again, we need to sometimes be using generics because unfortunately, 
the insurance industries don't want to cover these medications. They still see obesity as an aesthetic problem. They do not see the medical necessity in it often, which is ridiculous on its own. But again, we need to have options for people. One thing I will say is that we really need to be careful here. If you're someone that your alcohol patterns don't permit this, it will not be a medication for you. The other thing is, if you are on chronic opioid pain medications, the naltrexone part is going to block that. And so that's not going to be a medication for you. So again, this is where we look at what are the medications that you're on all the time, and then we adjust accordingly. The next category that we're going to talk about are called the GLP-1 agonist, that family. So there are definitely several in here. This group of medication, majority of them are going to be sub-Q, meaning right under the skin. It's going to be the smallest injection ever. There is one that is going to be an oral option. However, it's not as effective. And again, we'll, we'll talk about that more, but majority of these are injection. So FDA approved, you're going to hear the name liraglutide, that's Sixenda. Back in the day to diabetics, it was sold as Victosa. It is still being sold as such, but again, Victosa if it's diabetes, Saxenda, if it's FDA approved for weight management, we see about 10% weight loss. And again, it's been around a really long time. It's been used since 2010. So this is when I'll give you the example when people say, oh, this is an entirely new medication when everyone's only been talking about Ozempic, right, which we'll talk about in a second. These medications have actually been around a long time, actually GLP-1s even before that with another medication. And so it's they're not exactly new to the market. We've had over a decade with safety testing with this. So again, that Sixenda is actually a once a day injection. And then we have the other category. It's called semeglutide. Again, if it's FDA approved for weight management, it's called Wagovi. If it's for treatment of diabetes, it's Ozempic. And then the oral route of semeglutide is the medication Ribelsis. So that medication, we step up. It's about 15, 16% weight loss. So that's even better right now. Remember, we talked about how many can lose 20% of the body weight, about 35 to 40%. So you see how we took that step up from the medication I talked about before to now. So again, you get the GLP-1 medications, the amount goes up. The difference here is that something like Saxenda is a daily injection, and then semeglutide with Wagovi, that one is actually a once weekly injection. The really nice thing about these medications is that they're going to delay stomach emptying, so you're going to feel full quicker, and you're also going to get the enough signaling in the brain so that you're not sitting there thinking about food all the time. You actually feel satisfied, which is something that many of my patients have honestly never experienced. A lot of this breaks down to insulin resistance and leptin resistance. These are hunger hormones. Again, we'll talk more about them coming up, but These medications are solving a real physiologic need that we have with the chronic treatment of obesity. Not only are they affecting the stomach as well as the brain, but they also have a lot of other positive effects, such as for the heart. One of the pros that I look at here is how many positive things it's impacting on the body, the higher weight loss. The cons of this medication, unfortunately, price, okay? So it's like insurance, they don't want to cover it, even though they have all the literature of people being able to lose the weight and keep it off that they've never been able to do in the past. They just care about monthly what the cost is. And the other thing that would be a con here is some people, they just won't be able to tolerate the GI side effects. Maybe they're going to feel sick on it. Now, what we do see is that the longer you're on the medication, the more these side effects go down. And also, if you have the proper education when you start them, 
how to hydrate, how to eat, what to do. I find that that's a lot better, but I find that people that typically don't tolerate it, it's because they had no education. They were they got this medication written for, they picked it up at the pharmacy, they didn't know how to change eating or what to do, and then they failed the medication. But again, some people, even if they're doing everything right, they just can't tolerate it, and that's okay. Not all medications are going to be tolerated by everyone. So So now we're going to just talk about a last few medications. There's another one that a lot of weight management physicians have been using. The name of it is terzepatide. The brand name is Manjaro. Again, it's about 22% average weight loss, so that's very exciting. And hopefully in the coming year here, they're going to have that FDA approved for weight management. I know those trials are going through. And what's incredible here is that if you look at bariatric surgery, those numbers that you get with terzepatide, they're actually starting to be close to what you see with bariatric surgery. So that's really amazing that we have medications now that can mimic surgery, not that it replaces it. <laughs> okay, so we're gonna have another conversation coming up in the future. Surgery is still an amazing tool at a certain time for a certain person, maybe before or after medications. We're going to talk about a lot of that more in an upcoming episode. The Next medication that we have on here is something called Plenity. Now, Plenity is actually a capsule that you take with water. You take it before meals. It's a hydrogel that increases your fullness with meals. It's basically like taking a bunch of fiber. They have coupon codes for this. I don't really use it that often. I think it's a nice maybe addition for certain things, but it's sort of, again, for the right person for the right place. The one thing about Plenity that's unique is that it goes down to a BMI of 25 that it's indicated for. So this sometimes is for people that have lower amounts of weight to lose. They still want something. They really don't qualify for many things. But again, like we talked about in the beginning of the episode, I don't want to discredit anyone. If you really sit down and hear someone's story, there are many people that they still have some weight to get off, maybe not as high the numbers, but their their life is still significantly impacted by it. So sometimes plenity can be helpful in that scenario or as an add-on to other medications, which again, we'll talk about next episode as well, but sometimes it can be that that addition as well. There are only two, well, three more that I want to talk about here. <laughs> so real quick, Orlistat is one that limits fat absorption. It's over-the-counter, it's half-strength compared to what the prescription is. The problem with Orlistat is that it causes it, it because it's blocking fat absorption, it can cause a lot of greasy stools and things like that. And so I find that it's only helpful sometimes if someone's having a really bad constipation from a GLP-1. Sometimes this can be added to kind of balance that out. Again, I'm not doing it very commonly. I know some doctors are really into it. It's typically a really old medication that's really not used that often. Something that I don't enjoy about it is because it's blocking fat absorption, you can sometimes get vitamin deficiencies because you're not able to absorb those properly. So there's a lot more monitoring that needs to go in if you use it. That's why I'm just not such a fan of it. The other one that's on here is Liz Dexamphetamine. That goes by the name Vivance. That's FDA approved for treatment of binge eating disorder. Again, we'll talk about that in the future. That is something that can be very effective for that. Again, it's a controlled medication, so it really needs to come from the right provider face-to-face. Some doctors are just not as comfortable writing for it for different reasons. And so although it is great, it's FDA approved, it's likely, I don't think, being used as much as it could be. And then the last one that I want to talk about is metformin. I don't even think about it as a weight loss medication. The weight loss percentages is, is if you if I tell you 2%, you're going to laugh at me, right? <laughs> 
But sometimes if there's significant things going on, such as insulin resistance, if we're not helping with some of that, it's very hard to kind of move the needle on other things. So this is sometimes used for many different reasons, but you will see it kind of used in these arenas. So the question that I sometimes get is, do we combine these medications? Yes, we do. What I want you to keep in mind is things need to be in different categories. So for example, there are plenty of people where Let's say they're on a once a week GLP-1 medication. Let's say they're on Wagovi and they reach the 15% weight loss and they're kind of stalled out there and they're doing all the lifestyle changes and they're doing all, all the other things and they kind of can't make progress. Then I might talk to them and I might find out, you know what, they're really starting to struggle with urges and cravings for certain foods at certain times. And we might look at those patterns and see, oh, adding Contravon might be a really good option for them. And that might work great. So there are a lot of patients that might be on combination medications. Again, not that that's right for everybody. The other thing, too, that I didn't mention is I will also look within the first few weeks and months of someone being on the medication if we're titrating up or we reach wherever the correct dosage is for them. And if they're not losing weight or not losing appropriate amounts of weight, right, they're not losing at least three to five percent or whatever it is. And why would we keep the medication around, right? We don't want to increase risk for side effects and you're not getting all the benefits that we would expect. There are people where I will remove a medication if I don't feel it's helping them. Okay, so that is what I have for you right now. So part two is going to come next week. We're going to talk about a lot of other questions, a lot of the hot button stuff. So what about if I stop the medication? Does weight gain recur? What about if I've had bariatric surgery before? Can I still qualify for meds? Where can I find a physician that's going to help talk me through this and help me on this? and not just sit there and judge me and and have stigma and bias and kind of have outdated practices, right? (laughs) So I want to go over all of that with you. And I have a bunch more questions that we're going to go over. I really want to encourage you right now, if you are liking this, you're enjoying this, please make sure to hit subscribe, share it with a friend maybe that you think would like this episode as well. And then I want to ask a really big favor here. Can you please leave a written review if you are loving listening to this? Really helps to get the word out to other people so that we can help to change the narrative on this and get everybody the information that they need. All right, talk to you next week.